Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Merry Christmas. We are beginning this holiday season looking at the birth of Jesus Christ, the greatest story um, of Christ coming to earth on a mission to go and suffer for the sins of the world. God sent Jesus here on purpose. And in this holiday season, we want to remind everyone that Jesus has come not to make a home in a manger, but to make a home in our hearts. Amen? I'm so glad that you're with us today. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at the first seven verses, the Christmas story. If you don't have a Bible or don't have one that's easy to read, please stop by the Starting Point Center on your way out this morning and uh, say, hey, can I have one of the Bibles? And we would love to give you one that'll be your copy to keep. We want to make sure everybody who wants a Bible can have a Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken throughout the Roman world. This is a reminder to us, folks, that that right now the, the, the land of the Jewish people is under occupation and oppression by the Roman Empire. So they've decreed, and when a decree is made, there's no choice. You have to go, or there would be major consequences. Let's pick it up in verse 2. This was the first census that would take place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. This idea of no room in the inn, no place for Mary and Joseph and Jesus, this idea of the need for a place for them to call home in this very moment is the the point of the scripture here. And we had the the video we just watched of the the innkeeper and what was happening there. And, And the city was swollen. It was overrun with people. There were no rooms to be had. And the the idea of this picture here is of a, of a husband knocking on the door, of a, of a dad-to-be knocking on the door, and he's frantic. And all the dads in the room can relate to this, that when your wife is about to give birth, you are eager to be helpful because you realize she's going to be doing the hard part. You are eager to be helpful. You are eager to to figure out what you can do, to give some support, to give some comfort. You're willing to sacrifice, to work it all out, to figure out what's going on. They had traveled, and our best understanding is, in those days, to go from Nazareth, Nazareth to Bethlehem would have been about 85 miles. And they didn't have a Range Rover or anything like that to travel in. They were hoofing it or 
at most on an animal, and he was probably walking, and an animal was trailing behind him, and Mary was sitting side saddle on this animal, ready to give birth any time. And ladies, if you've been pregnant before, you can imagine an 85-mile trek on a donkey when you're about to give birth is not comfortable. So here they are in Bethlehem, and so many people are crowding in. There is no room at all. And you have a frantic husband. What are we going to do? This baby's about to come. It's probably late, and there are no options. This is, not, this is probably not the first door they've knocked on. Sorry, no room. Sorry, no room. Sorry, no vacancies. And here they come to this place, and Joseph is desperate to figure out what's going to happen. Joseph is really eager to see how a solution is going to be found. There's going to be some childbirth that Mary has to go for, and that's going to be really hard. They've made this trek already from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and that is really, really hard. And the timing of this whole thing is just awful. Let me remind you of the story. Joseph and Mary are not yet married, and she's pregnant. In the ancient Near East, that would have been a disastrous kind of a situation. Son, when you were just so exhausted of explaining how this happened, an angel came and told us that the Holy Spirit would, would lead to this pregnancy. Oh, right, sure, we know what was happening, Joseph. You and Mary have been shacking up before you're married. No, 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 an angel came. Yeah, right. So you can imagine the difficulty in all of this that was going on for these two people. And on top of all that, a census. So while you're figuring out your life, and while you're figuring out pregnancy, and while you're trying to be obedient to God, and while you're trying to do the hard thing that God has called you to do, right in the middle of that is a surprise, a census, and you don't have a choice. You have to go. It is the least of conveniences. The childbirth's about to be rough. The travel has been rough. The whole timing of all of this just absolutely stinks. None of this was part of Joseph's original plan. He may have been thinking, I'm going to be a carpenter and I'm, I'm going to open up, you know, Joseph's workshop of Nazareth and we're going to have lots of locations and maybe even a website. He probably wasn't thinking a website at that point, but we're going to have a big carpentry business and, and we're going to do this. And all, and all of a sudden God stepped into his life and said, Joseph, these are the roads I need you to take. This is the mission I need you to accomplish. This is the role I need you to play in what I'm doing. And then in the middle of that change, a census, and then in the middle of that trip, no vacancy. And here they are, wife about to give birth, and there's no guest room for them. When you look at the word guest room, it's actually the same word that Jesus used when he gave instructions to his disciples to go and find a place where they could celebrate what we know as the Last Supper. 
It was a sort of an idea of like a hostel. A guest room is, is not the Four Seasons. This is not the Ritz-Carlton. This is not the Holiday Inn Express. This is more like a hostel. This is a place where travelers could come. It had some walls. They could find safety there, warmth there. There was probably a little market kind of place where vendors had set up and they could buy food and take care of the animals and those kind of things. Safety, warmth, food, water, and rest. They had these little outpost kind of inns throughout the area, and this is likely what they were going to, and there were lots of them, but they were all filled up. These weren't luxurious accommodations. It's not like Joseph and Mary were thinking, we can't wait to sleep on some Egyptian cotton sheets tonight. They were not expecting crazy luxury. They were expecting to be crowded in one of these inns, in one of these hostels, in one of these room places, just like everyone else was crowded. But a surprise situation came in. There's no room. And even in the midst of their own set of circumstances, their own hardships, but my wife is pregnant. <laughs> no room. There's no room. So now they come to figure out what they're going to have to do. And the only option they have is some kind of a barn. And the Bible doesn't mention an innkeeper, but we put two and two together that they went to this place and there's no room in the inn, there's no guest room for them. But somebody at the guest house said, we'll make some space for you with the animals. You can go out to the barn, and, and if you're picturing a big Tennessee barn with nice red wood and big sliding doors, kind of pull that picture out of your mind. This was likely kind of a cave that they had built some wood uh, structure around the opening of the cave, and the animals would come in, and they would just throw some hay in this corner and that corner. There weren't formal stalls like a corral or anything. This was just a, a holding pen for the animals. And when the census is going on and all the people were crowding into the town, there were lots of animals. And when the census was going on and there were lots of people in the town, there probably wasn't a whole lot of time to go and clean out the stables. So I want you to think of a crowded, dirty, grimy, smelly little stable area where Mary and Joseph, in the middle of their surprising, changing circumstances, they find themselves needing to call this home for a season. Here they are, and Mary gives birth to the child, and Luke is careful to give us the detail. This is her firstborn. This is the child of the work of God. And she wraps him in cloths, and she lays him in a manger. And so, what is a manger? A manger is some kind of a, a, a vessel where they would put straw for the animals to eat. There was usually some hay they laid down for the animals to, to rest on if they wanted to, to lie down. But there was also another place where they would put some other straw and other food the animals could eat, and it may have been made of wood, but more than likely it was a carved out place in the cave, just a little depression area, a little recessed area. So little baby Jesus is born and snuggled up tight in some cloth, and then he is laid 
in this manger, perhaps on a little mattress of hay. None of this was a part of the plan of what Joseph thought was going to happen, of what Mary thought was going to happen. The king's first home on earth is a dirty, smelly, crowded stable in a manger with animals. I wonder if some of us in the room might be able to relate to surprising circumstances in the middle of our plans. Where life is cruising along just as you thought it would, and you would actually maybe even label it as life is pretty good. And then a curveball. Something you weren't planning on. Something that, that you never expected. Something that wasn't according to the script that you had lined out. Some sort of change. Something that caused your expectations that were up here to just crash down low. Most of us in the room can relate to that. And if you haven't lived long enough to be disappointed, uh, just be patient because um, it's coming. And that's not bad news, that's just truth. When life brings difficulty, when plans change, when expectations turn into disappointments, you and I need to continue to trust God. The video that we saw this morning put some words in the mouth of Mary that we don't have in the Bible, so we don't know that, that she said that. But in the video... Uh, she said, God will provide, God will provide, God will provide. And don't you want that to be the attitude of your heart when your circumstances change? Don't you want that to be the attitude of your heart when you're like, this was not how it was supposed to go? Don't you want that to be your attitude when you have the thoughts, where is God in all of this? I have been faithful. I have resisted temptation. What's going on? And I believe the Lord wants us all to grow in our trust of him through the lens of no room at the end. Expectations can become disappointments in a heartbeat. So let me just sort of tell you um, four things this morning that we can kind of rally around that are built on this idea of the story and what it is to trust God. Number one, I just want to put it out there. Life is going to include disappointment and suffering. Life is going to include disappointment and suffering and neither is a sign of God's failure, God's anger, or God's lack of love. Life is going to include some disappointment, some setbacks, and some suffering. That's just the way it is. You and I live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is corrupted. We live in a world where sin has crept into the hearts of men and women of all ages, and sin has led people to do some awful, awful things. The word victim exists because of sin. The concept of war exists because of sin. 
Sickness exists because of sin. The world has been corrupted because of the influence of sin. And you cannot escape disappointment. You cannot escape suffering. And here at People People of Hope Church, we're going to try to shoot straight with you all the time. We're going to try to tell you the truth all the time. We're not trying to be doom and gloom. We're just trying to be real. Do not lull yourself into a false thought that says, if I'm just a good person, then nothing bad will happen to me. Bad things happen to good people every day. And a lot of it comes from the fact that the world is broken. People get sick. Car wrecks happen. Conflict and disagreement and betrayal happen all the time. People make choices and you have to deal with the consequences all the time. Don't let anybody ever tell you that God's plan for your life is to be wealthy and healthy all your days. God's plan for your life is for you to know him, to enjoy him, and to cling to him in this corrupted life. And so many times the path that God has for us as his people is not helping us to avoid the trouble, but to meet us in the middle of our trouble. But to all those who are young in the room, don't be afraid God's bigger than the darkness. Don't be afraid. There's nothing that can come against you that does not first go through the filter of God's sovereignty. Do not be afraid. In the end, sin doesn't win. Do not be afraid. But do not be deceived. Disappointment is a part of life because of sin. But disappointment and suffering are not indicators that God's mad at you. They're not indicators that God has failed. They're not indicators that God's not strong enough to deal what's come against you. They're not indicators that God was ever caught off guard by the thing that has surprised you as the script has changed or the plan has changed. Nothing ever catches God by surprise. He is always at peace. Young man, Joseph, not quite married. Mary's about to give birth. No room in the end. What am I going to do? I've got to find. I've got to provide. I've got to facilitate. I've got to be the dad. I've got to be the man. I've got to be the leader. I've got to take care of. I want to make sure she's about to do all the work. I want to do something. I've got to find a place. We've got to do. We've got to do. Ah! If it were me in that moment, I'd be tempted to panic. Anybody else? I'd be tempted to, uh, <laughs> I'd be tempted to several reactions, not of them very, not of them very good. Hopefully, I would not retreat into a little fetal position on the floor. Make it stop! I don't want to do this anymore. Hopefully I wouldn't just bow up and bulldoze my way through and say, I'm going to boot somebody else out. I'm coming in right now. A lot of us would struggle in this moment. Listen, as your plans have changed, as your script has flipped, as you're in a moment where your expectations have become disappointment, you are frantic, but God is at peace. 
because nothing ever catches him by surprise. Every day of your life, my friends, is fully known by God, and not because he predicts the future, but because he holds the future. God sees every day, and every day has a purpose. All the days are known to him, and nothing catches him by surprise. So if you come into 2019 season and your expectations have turned to disappointment, your, your circumstances have changed and they're not at all going the way you thought they were going to go, listen, you, you can trust right now that God sees it and he is at peace about it and he's working on it and he's with you in the middle of it. And I'm not going to promise you that it's going to all turn out rosy tomorrow. I'm not going to promise that it turns out rosy six months from now or six weeks from now or any of those things. But here's what I can promise you. God cares, God sees, and he is with you in the middle of your trouble. And he has a plan. He's never surprised. He is fully at peace. And he understands our weakness. When God shows up in the Bible and he tells the people, peace, be still, do not fear, he's never scolding us, he's giving us good news, you don't have to fear anymore, you got fear in your hands, put it down, you're alarmed, I understand that because from what you can see, human person, from what you can see, it looks really, really rough. But I can see everything, and I hold all things in my hand. I hold time in my hands, and nothing can come against you. And I'm on top of it. You can put it down. Be at peace. Let me take your fear, and let me give you some peace. Peace isn't that you'll be healthy and wealthy forever. The peace is my God is on his throne. My God is at work in my life. And everything in the end is going to work out the way he wants it to work out. And whatever he plans is better than anything I could plan. This is the trusting of God with disappointment and expectations that come crashing down. Number two, God doesn't need our details to work out in order to accomplish his plans and purposes. God doesn't need our details to work out in order to accomplish his plans and purposes. Mary and Joseph are on their way to the census in Bethlehem, and Jesus is coming. I mean, the baby's coming. The, the baby's coming. And the baby's coming, whether or not they're inside the inn or whether they're in the stable. And Jesus is coming. Yes, the baby is to be born, but Jesus is coming into the world to live a sinless life and to die as a sacrifice for sin, and nothing is going to stop that. Joseph didn't have a moment where he was like, no room in the end. I guess we should pray to God that he'll communicate to the angel who brought the message, the plan's off. There's no room in the end. God doesn't need our details of our plans to work out in order to accomplish his purposes. 
So here's where I'm going with that. My challenge to you, dear ones, is that you would have plans. Don't be lazy. And dream big with God, amen? Because our God can do anything. But hold those plans loosely in an open hand. And work hard in your heart, in your soul, not to say to God, God, it needs to happen this way. It can only happen this way. God, my days are yours. And I'm so excited about the potential decades ahead of my life. Let's go, God. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Seize the day. Make the most. Let's go get them. Let's get after it. Let's accomplish. Let's bear fruit. Let's make a mark. Let's make an impact. Let's be salt. Let's be light. Lord, I have big dreams because you're a big God. But if it needs to happen differently than I see it in my mind and in my life, thy will be done. Eighty-five miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, on the back of an animal, perhaps groaning is Mary at every bump in the road. And Joseph is thinking, we can't get there quick enough. But we'll get there, and we'll get to be inside, and she'll find warmth, and we'll be safe, and we can get some food, and it'll be a place we can rest and have this baby. But it doesn't go according to the details of his plan. But God can still do amazing things. I invite you to the adventure that is following Jesus in your life. And the adventure is being spiritually pliable. Being flexible with your plans. We talked about this about a month ago when we talked about trusting God for the future of our lives, that we don't want to make our plans and then ask God to bless them. We want to say, Lord, this is sort of what we feel like is on our heart to do, but Lord, if you want to trade this out for something else, if this needs to happen a different way, if this needs to be a completely different thing, I want that because your plans are better than mine. And maybe the Lord brought you into this room this morning, here at Christmas time, in this thought of home for Christmas as maybe thoughts of home are changing or thought for your season of life is changing or you're really swimming in a big bucket of disappointment. I would invite you to say to God, between you and him, Lord, this isn't how I thought it was going to go. But I trust you. And when you do that, it doesn't change your circumstances, but it becomes worship. And if you can worship in the middle of your disappointment, there's some really, really good stuff there. If you will turn your eyes to the Lord, who has all things, including your life, in his hands right now, 
You can turn your eyes to the Lord, who is not frantic or panicked, but he is perfectly at peace as the sovereign God. If you can turn your eyes to the Lord, then you can maybe even think that God has something better than your smaller plans. Let each of us grow up to the fact that we sometimes need to pray, Lord, keep me from my small dreams. Do with my life whatever you want. My days are yours. And if the road is bumpy, and if I gotta go a long way, and if the plan I had doesn't turn out, praise be to God. Because these days are really your days. And I want to follow you. Number three, when moments humble us, we trust God through endurance. When moments humble us, we trust God through endurance. We want to be careful that we don't begin to glorify the disappointment. We want to make sure that we are an enduring people, a people who will be strong and trust. God hasn't flipped everything today, but I'm going to trust him for today. And we wake up tomorrow, and the disappointment isn't wiped out yet. I'm still going to trust God for today. And we wake up the next day, and it's still a rough day. And we trust God for that day. Let's be people who endure. That's how you trust God. Mary and Joseph went looking for a guest room in this kind of an inn, kind of a hostel for travelers. And they couldn't find one. So what did they do? They made the most out of the circumstances they were in. Here's where I'm going with that. Find a way to trust God in the changing plans. And be careful that you don't make a home inside of your disappointment. Some of you have been disappointed for years. And you have wrapped yourself in the sadness of the plans that turned out differently than you thought. And it is keeping you from the mission. It is keeping you from joy in Jesus. It is keeping you from enjoying the blessings of the people who are here in your life right now. It is causing you to miss out on the miracles that are happening around you every single day. Do you think for a moment as Joseph held the baby Jesus and as Mary was healthy, do you think for a moment that Joseph was thinking, we're in a stable? He found a way to endure. Wasn't pretending, wasn't lying, but he was not giving up to the disappointment and despair. And he was making the most out of a change in his plans.
Some of us have experienced suffering in our lives that is extraordinary. Abuse, loss, trauma. You've experienced violence or death. And it stays with you. And it has marked you. And some of you live your life with a limp because of what you've gone through. And part of that is how God wanted to shape you into the person you are. So when I say don't make a home out of your disappointment, I'm not talking about ever looking at your circumstances as something that God has given you as an unkindness. What I'm calling you to is to be on your guard that you don't let the sadness swallow you. Some of you need some help out of the sadness. You need to meet with a counselor to help untangle some of the knots that have been put up in your heart. Some of you need to learn some healthy coping skills and mechanisms for dealing with the abuse or the loss or the violence or the death or the terror that you went through. Some of you need to get some assistance, a hand up out of the sadness. For God's glory and for your good. For the rest of us, when disappointment comes, when plans change, endure. You'll have good days and bad days, faith-filled days and doubt-filled days, but endure. So number one, life was going to include disappointment and suffering, and neither is a sign of God's failure, anger, or lack of love. Number two, God doesn't need our details to work out in order to accomplish his plans and purposes. Number three, when moments humble us, we must trust God through endurance. And number four, the last thing here, Jesus came to make his home in our hearts. Jesus came to make his home in our hearts. It wasn't about a manger. Jesus didn't come just to be in a manger or to grow up and live in a palace. Jesus came on a mission. And this is the beauty of Christmas time is we get to tell the story of God. There is one God who made all things, and he made men and women. And he put them on this earth in a garden of perfection, in a perfect relationship with himself. And in the middle of that, the man and the woman chose to compromise. And they chose to go against the ways of God called sin. And they chose out of that to do something he told them not to. And that brought consequences upon their lives. It brought death into the world. It brought corruption into the world. And it broke this relationship men and women had with God. But God is full of love. And God has made a way for that relationship to be restored. It's through Jesus. At Christmas time, we celebrate the truth that love from God came down in Jesus. 
God gave his only son, Jesus, to live a sinless life and to be a sacrifice for the guilt of your sins and for my sins on a cross. At Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that even though all of us have sinned, we do not have to count ourselves as never having the chance to have a relationship with the one true God who made all things. You can have a relationship with God, but it has to come through Jesus. I mentioned earlier that Joseph and Mary found no guest room, and so they were forced to take what they could take, and perhaps an innkeeper or someone there at this place out for travelers made arrangements for them with the animals in the barn, in the stable, out kind of in a cave, and there they were in this smelly, gross place with all the animals and all the stink and all the noises and just a grimy place. You may be sitting here this morning and you may be thinking, God can't do anything with my life. I've messed up too much. You may be thinking Jesus would not want to make his home in my heart because my heart's pretty grimy, pretty smelly, pretty corrupted. But I want you to hear this morning that nothing that you've done in this life is beyond God's ability to forgive it. And no filthiness in your heart is beyond God's ability to make it clean. If you want to have a relationship with God, believe in his son Jesus, and he will come and make a home in your heart. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter your choices, no matter the corruption, no matter the filth, he is bringing you this morning an invitation. You see, when Jesus died on the cross for sins, that was a sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb, as we call it from Scripture. Jesus gave himself as that sacrifice, and he spilled his blood and the Bible tells us that God accepted that sacrifice as a covering for all of the sins. Jesus didn't stay dead. Hallelujah. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. Jesus is alive right now. And he makes an offer to us that is if you will believe that Jesus is God's son and that he died for sin and rose again, if you will follow him with your life and become his follower, his disciple, and all of your sins can be forgiven, that you can be made clean, that you can have heaven as your home for all eternity, that you can become part of God's family, that you can be set free from the sin that has a grip on your life. You can know and enjoy a relationship with God. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to clean up your heart. You simply have to believe. That's the amazing good news of the Bible. You don't have to earn 
forgiveness. You couldn't. You just have to receive it. Has Jesus made a home in your heart? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you followed him? Are you his disciple? Have you believed that what Jesus did really did happen as an act of love for you, really did pay for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus is alive? Do you want to go where he's going? Do you want to follow him? If you do that, Christ will come and make his home in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus for us in the middle of our filth, in the middle of our helplessness. Lord, teach us to trust you, that you are always at work for your glory and for our good. God, even for some of us, while we're disappointed that things haven't turned out like we thought they would, that change has taken longer than we thought it would, Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. Right where you sit with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're going through a change right now, if you're going through a set of circumstances that have just caught you off guard, or they're different than you expected, or they're frightening or hard or challenging, would you just speak to God? from your heart to him, would you just find a way to trust him? Maybe you're just really raw and telling him, God, it's hard to trust. I'm afraid. Or God, it's hard to trust because I'm really angry that my plans didn't turn out. Just be that real with God. He already knows. He could be frustrated. tell him you want to trade your fear for peace. And for everybody there with their eyes closed and their head bowed this morning, would you just tell God that your hands are open with the plans of your life? All of your dreams, all of your plans, tell him, God, God, these days are your days. Do what you need to do with my life. I trust you, God. It doesn't have to be said, Lord, but I'm saying it. Life doesn't have to turn out the way I want it to turn out. I'll still serve you. I'll still serve you. I'll trust you. nobody looking around this morning, if you're in a situation of struggle, a situation of crisis, a situation of suffering or deep disappointment, I want to pray for you this morning. Would you, would you slip your hand up and then slip it back down? Who else this morning? Just in a situation of disappointment, crisis, trouble, suffering. Anybody else? Just slip your hand up, put it back down. I just want to be, be able to pray for you this morning. Things have caught you off guard. There's a lot of fear about how it's going to turn out. Anybody else?
Father, I come to you now on behalf of my friends and with my friends. We stand before you together today. Lord, I pray you'd put your arms around these who are fearful, these who are struggling. I pray, God, you'd give them strength from the inside out. Lord, cause the turmoil in their soul to come to peace. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to find rest. God, I ask that you would be their warrior father, God, that you would fight battles for them and that you would go in front of them and defeat the enemies that are coming against them, Lord. I pray where there is sickness that you'd bring healing. I pray, God, where there is an enemy that you would bring victory. I pray, God, where there is sin that you would bring a conquering strength. Lord, for the fear of the unknown, for the anxiety of how it's going to turn out, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, God, that you would give your children a gift of comfort this morning and a peace that passes understanding as they trust that you're at work. minister to them this morning, Lord, as they trust you with their days. Finally, before we sing, just as you sit there between you and the Lord, if you've never believed in Jesus, would you do that now? you believe in Jesus as God's son and ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to change your life, to forgive all your sins. Tell him you want to follow him. Even even not understanding all that that means. He can come into your life no matter how dirty it looks. Father, uh, thank you that you came into our mess and brought love. I thank you that you came into our struggles and made a way where there was no way. God, so often we get flustered by the details of our days. Help us to trust you. For you are always good. Your timing is always perfect. Your plan is always better than our plan. Lead us to a place, God, where we can say, it is well. Amen.